and Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor, and since Rob can't be with us today, our producer John Posey is going to fill in for him. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and you can find out about our books. The most recent nonfiction is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Trish's latest novel is Skin Shifters, and Rob's latest novel is Tulpas. Our guest today is Ralph Blumenthal. He was a reporter for the New York Times from 1964 to 2009 and has written seven books based on investigative crime reporting and cultural history. His newest book is The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack. It will be released on March 15th, and it's the first biography of Pulitzer Prize-winning Harvard psychiatrist John E. Mack, who risked an esteemed career to investigating stupefying accounts of human abductions by aliens. Vanity Fair excerpted his work of progress in 2013. Recently, Ralph has written some fascinating articles on alien abduction, Robert Bigelow's contest to to prove that human consciousness survives death, and the Navy reports that describe encounters with UFOs. Welcome, Ralph, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Trish. A real pleasure. And your book has now gone on my favorite list of top (laughs) ten books. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, uh, so uh, to kind of kick things off, Ralph, uh, what what prompted you and Leslie Keene to hook up on the Navy's UFO reports in the in the New York Times? Okay, uh, well, I had already been working on the John Mack book for about uh, uh, let's see, fifteen year, twelve, twelve, fifteen years by then. So I was kind of attuned to the issue, but uh, was not planning to do any writing on UFOs for the New York Times. It was not on aliens; it was on UFOs. Uh-huh. We haven't gotten to aliens yet at the New York Times. So um, Leslie had gone down to uh, Washington and um, uh, had access to a secret meeting, a very high-level meeting with Lou Alessandro, who was the head of this Pentagon office to investigate UFOs that nobody knew about. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Leslie was there because she had such superb contacts in in the field. And she found out that uh, Lou Elizondo was quitting his Pentagon post um, as the head of ATIP because uh, he felt there was a lack of government support. But that the office existed was itself a revelation. It had been funded by Harry Reid with $22 million back in 2007. And nobody knew that the Pentagon was officially investigating UFOs. Um, hmm. Supposedly it ended with you know Blue Book in 1969. Mm-hmm. But there, there you go. So the Pentagon was was doing this and um, had tracked uh, contacts between Navy pilots and uh, and UFOs. They had videos which we got access to. So anyway, we interested the Times pretty quickly in a story because it was a sensational story uh, that you know that it was a secret office in the Pentagon investigating UFOs. And um, so we broke that story with uh, Leslie and I and Helene Cooper from the Washington Bureau. 
in uh, December 2017. So uh, that was quite a, a, a revelation, if I if I do say so myself, and it got a lot of attention. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, how, how did you meet Leslie? Because she worked for the Times. Uh, no, uh, Leslie actually was uh, had written a very good book on UFOs, and um, uh, it's an interesting story how I met Leslie because. I was working on the John Mack book since 2004, and um, I uh, found out that John Mack had gotten into the abduction phenomenon uh-huh. through Bud Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And Leslie and Bud were a couple. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Um, and uh, 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 till he died. Um, and uh, so I had approached Leslie when I was interested in meeting Bud. And she she put me together with Bud, and Bud was very helpful. I was able to interview him before he died. Um, and um, so that's how I got to meet Leslie. Hmm. Bud was really, we met him uh, years ago at a UFO conference that we covered for Omni. And what a nice guy. I yeah, really liked Bud. Guy. And um, he really was uh, a pioneer before John Mack mm-hmm. into uh, abduction. Uh, Bud Hopkins was, and Bud was an artist, as you know, right. um, and he had spotted a UFO off Cape Cod where he had a, an art studio back in the 60s, mm-hmm. and uh, he was on his way to a party with some friends, and he spots this UFO, and he gets to the party, and he um, tells people to play, hey, we just spotted a UFO, <laughs> and everybody at the party <laughs> pipes up, oh, we saw one too, oh, yeah, we <laughs> so we, what the hell's going on, all these <laughs> UFOs? So he started to inform himself, and by the 80s, he was interviewing uh, abductees um, and teaching. He had taught himself hypnosis. I mean, this was not his field. Uh, Mm -hmm. John Mackey was not a professional, um, but he he started investigating alien abduction stories, and he came up with, you know, doozies and... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and he wrote a book, which was a pioneering book, uh, remains um, groundbreaking, called... It's a terrific Miss- book. Yeah. yeah, well, Missing Time. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which which sort of broke the news that people who encountered um, uh, UFOs and, and these alien beings often could not account for uh, sudden lapses in time. They would arrive at their destination, you know, two hours later, and they wouldn't know what what had happened, and that would come out later in hypnotic regressions, or little bits and pieces would occur to them in conscious recollection. So Bud really uh, got onto that concept of missing time. And he was the one who told John Mack about abductions. Did you get any pushback uh, at the times on the topic, or you know, covering well, that kind of thing? Question. Um, no, because first of all, um, nobody knew or even cared that I was writing a book about John Mack. <laughs> um, at the time, um, the, the UFO story came up. Um, I had been working on that since 2004, so you know, a long time and sort of quietly. But when when Leslie and I and Helene got a hold of the UFO story and told the Times, um, you know. Um, all they were cared about really was that we had everybody uh, in the story on the record. There were no anonymous sources. We had the mm-hmm. documentation. Um, so there was nothing to take on faith. We had, you know, the, the goods. 
And to, the, to their credit, the editors um, realized this was a good story, solid story, uh, solidly reported. Um, and despite the ridicule factor that, as you know, these stories, mm. uh, you know, entail, uh, they put the story right on the front page on a Sunday where it, it got a lot of attention. Oh, that was fantastic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we saw Bud uh, do a regression. He, when he was at this Hollywood UFO conference, he, he was on the radio, too, and he got a call from a woman who lived in Lake Worth, and he didn't have a car, so we drove him to this woman's house. Yeah. What's interesting about this story is that at the time, uh, the National Enquirer, every Christmas had this tremendously tall Christmas tree, like 80 feet tall or something. And as she was being beamed out <laughs> her bedroom and up into this light, she could see the tree. Huh. And Bud Hopkins says to her in his wry uh, humor, he goes, well, what did they think of the National Enquirer tree? <laughs> and she says, they weren't impressed. <laughs> So he, even in the hypnosis, he got in his, yeah. his humor. Uh, yeah, well, Bud um, uh, had, had a great sense of humor. And uh, he and John, you know, collaborated quite closely in the beginning. Then they uh, had a, a sort of a parting of the ways, which is interesting because Bud and, and David Jacobs, who was a uh -huh. Temple University professor, who's also a very, very expert on the history of UFOs, he actually ended up teaching a course at Temple on mm. UFOs, and he wrote a groundbreaking book in 1975 on, on UFOs. Anyway, uh, Jacobs and, and, and Bud Hopkins were very attached to the idea that these abductions were real, uh, they were happening uh, in, a, in a recognizable mm -hmm. of reality, and that these uh, alien beings were somehow evil or at least traumatizing humans by mm -hmm. you know, abducting them and subjecting them to all these medical and reproductive uh, procedures. And John, um, in the beginning, sort of subscribed to that, but later on, he drifted away from it and thought that this could not be happening in any dimension of reality that we recognize. And um, it must be happening in some other reality. Um, and, uh, and not only that, but, but John took the position that these people were not just traumatized, but they were exposed to more spiritual uh, perspectives and they became more concerned with the fate of the planet. Mm -hmm. They connected with source or deity or God. Uh -huh saw sort of positive aspects in the abduction experience, which Bud, Bud Hopkins and, and David Jacobs didn't. So uh, they, they parted ways for a while. They reconciled later. But it was, you know, two different and starkly different approaches to the subject. Mm, fascinating. Well, what did you learn in your research that surprised or shocked you about Mac? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I figured you'd say. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, I didn't know of any of this when I started looking into John Mack. I mean, I had read some science fiction as a kid, like everybody else, you know, mm -hmm. growing up after World War II. Um, science fiction was really big, and we were all, you know, avid readers of Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov. Mm -hmm. You know, later on in my career as a New York Times investigative reporter, uh, that was sort of the furthest thing from my mind. I was involved with uh, investigating the mafia and... Uh, uh, Nazi war criminals and you know crooked politicians, very well grounded in this in this reality, you could say. Um, but um, 
through uh, I mean, I was a correspondent in Texas for the New York Times when I picked up one of John's books. I mean, that's the short version of what happened. Huh. And it was the second book, Passport to the Cosmos. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is interesting. And I read it and I said, wow, a Harvard psychiatrist who's interested in aliens. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> so, um, so I was surprised with that. And then when I read that book and his earlier book, which was even more sensational, uh, 13 case studies of people he, uh, he interviewed or researched uh, with the most amazing abduction experiences that you could ever imagine, I mean, or can imagine, um, uh, that blew my mind. So um, if you say, what surprised me? Well, everything about it surprised <laughs> me. Um, and the more I learned about it, um, the more I realized that John John was onto something, that there mm-hmm. were uh, really uh, solid accounts uh, by people all over the world uh, of all different backgrounds, uh, ages, even children as young as two, who, who told stories about being taken up to the sky by little men. And, and John realized, you know, these kids couldn't be influenced by books they had read or right. they had seen or the cultural milieu. Um, so that and a lot of other things convinced John that there was something, something real going on here. Um, and, and I followed his thinking, really. I mean, I, I traced his evolution. Hmm. Um, it, how he came to that conclusion, and we can we can discuss that in more detail later. But so um, everything I, I encountered was a surprise. Um, hmm. What what prompted you to to write to start writing us because of these books you had read that he'd written? Is, um, I, t- I told you I was in Texas when I picked up a copy of uh-huh. John's book and I read it, and as a reporter. My first instinct was, uh, gee, I got to call this guy, a Harvard psychiatrist interested in aliens. Uh-huh. This is amazing. And he'd make a great feature story. So I was very naive. I mean, I had no idea that he was already famous. Uh, <laughs> the fact that I hadn't heard about him didn't mean much. Uh, he, was, he had been in the New York Times, which I didn't realize. The Times had written about him at some length. Uh, he, was all, he had done an Oprah show. He had, been, he had met the Dalai Lama. He had uh-huh. met Arafat. He had quite a distinguished career. And he was certainly well known at Harvard, where he had been put under investigation for his, uh, you know, research. So anyway, I, I, I thought very naively I was going to call this guy and set up an interview and chat with him. And the next day, or a few days later, I pick up the paper and he's dead. Um, he oh, was run oh. over in London. He, he went to London uh, for a conference on Lawrence of Arabia. He had written a, a biography of Lawrence that won the Pulitzer Prize years before. So he was in London for a conference, and he stepped out of the uh, tube, the underground, and looked the wrong way, as one does in London, and got <laughs> down by a guy who had had too much to drink. Oh, God. Uh, so, um, uh, by the way, there were a lot of conspiracy theories after that. And right. Assassinated, and another John Mack <clears throat> at the same time, uh, all of which I pretty much debunk in my book. I. Uh, mm-hmm have the police reports. Uh, it was a you know, straightforward uh, auto accident, tragic, but not nefarious, no skullduggery. Anyway, um, so now he's dead, and I'm, I'm not going to interview him anymore. <laughs> but, uh, although he did, <laughs> I have at the end of my book, he, some people say he made appearances after death, but we can, we can get to that. <laughs> well, 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 before, well, before, we, before we get to uh, 
uh, before we get to after his death, with being a uh, with him being an, a uh, Harvard Harvard uh, psychologist and lifelong atheist, uh, what 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 triggered him to uh, pursue uh, this these, this topic? Do you know? Yeah. Well, he as you point out, he was brought up in a very uh, conventional materialist German Jewish household. His parents were both professors. Um, not particularly spiritual, not particularly religious. Um, and uh, so he was sort of a man of science and medicine. Um, but he had he was known for his enthusiasms. Um, he was very charismatic, by the way, tall, uh, you know, blue-eyed, uh, mm-hmm. very attractive to men and women. He was a very charismatic character. Um, anyway, uh, and he was a very um, visceral kind of person, just jumped at things that interested him. So he was involved in, um, in world peace. Uh, after his book on Lawrence, he went to the Middle East to try to you know, make peace between Israelis and Palestinians. And then he joined the anti-nuclear movement against nuclear weapons because he hmm. was a doctor and didn't want to see the human race exterminated. Um, so he had all these enthusiasms. He threw himself into a lot of things. And then... Um, he went out to Esalen, you know, the uh, right. uh, think tank, uh, uh, psychic Olymp- Olympiad, I call it. <laughs> um, it fits. <laughs> and he, he met a guy named Stan Groff, who was a psychiatrist from Czechoslovakia, who had done a lot of uh, experiments with LSD and also uh, developed a method of um, inducing alternate states of consciousness through breathing, regulated breathing. Oh, holotropic? Holotropic, Holotropic. Uh uh-huh. Exactly. So John got interested in that, and by controlling his breathing, he he could bring himself back to uh, earlier states of his life, including childhood. Um, And uh, he he was astounded by this. Um, So it got him thinking about consciousness and you know, how you could change your consciousness. Mm-hmm. And just at that point, somebody, uh, one of his fellow uh, psychiatrists at the meeting in Esalen told him about Bud Hopkins. Hmm. And his first reaction was, uh, no, I'm not, that's crazy stuff. I'm not interested in that. Um, but then, you know, you're interested, I know, Trish, in synchronicities. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was this interesting, really meaningful synchronicity when John was in New York, um, he was based in Boston, Cambridge, at Harvard, but he came into New York to visit his friend Robert Lifton, uh, the the well-known psychiatrist Mm -hmm. about Nazi war criminals and Hiroshima. Anyway, he's visiting Lifton, and uh, and uh, he mentioned that he'd gotten this introduction to Bud Hopkins that he wasn't going to pursue. But Lifton, it turned out, knew Bud Hopkins because he huh. uh, used to hang out in the summers at Cape Cod. You know, all psychiatrists yeah. Cape Cod. <laughs> why you can't get your you can't get analyzed in the summer. <laughs> so uh, so Lifton knew Bud Hopkins from Cape Cod, and um, so John said, "Well, in that case, you want to come with me to visit Hopkins." Hmm. At this point, Lifton's wife, B.J. Uh, pipes up, uh, really extraordinary, and says to her husband, uh, Lifton, no, uh, you have a choice about this, but John doesn't. <laughs> so, 
So interesting. Sandra, you know, she sees the future that John is going to be captivated by by this field, but she mm-hmm. her husband away from it. So anyway, John goes to Bud Hopkins, um, even though he said originally he wasn't going to get involved in that, but he then got curious and just suddenly he got the idea, well, I'm in New York, Bud's in New York, I'll go visit him. So he <laughs> gets invited over to Hopkins Townhouse on the west side and, and Bud um, shows him all these letters he's gotten from his books from people who said they were abducted and they were taken on spaceships and they had their women had their eggs taken and and, then you know all this stuff and john is flabbergasted i mean he takes the letters and then he reads them and he's flabbergasted and so that's a long answer to your question that's how john got interested wow Wow. (laughs) that's really well you know you mentioned synchronicity um i thought it fascinating that there seemed to have been some precognition about his death uh, when he before he went made that trip to England and he pulled a rune that Ralph Blum had given, you know, I guess he'd given him a bag of runes, and then he commented, the rune he chose was the blank, and sometimes that portends death. So yeah. I when I read that I thought, wow, okay, he knew he was going to die, you know, at some um, level. A lot of stories like that that I I got from my book. Um, he would tell people, maybe I can do better work from the other side. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and plus, he was working on a book about communicating with the dead, right? I mean, this really jumps ahead because this was his last um, his last field of uh, research was mm-hmm. life and death, which followed all his, his work in abduction. So in the end, it was kind of full circle. But uh, to, to answer your question, he, um, um, he, he did have premonitions of death. As a matter of fact, I just heard a story from one of his associates that came too late to put in the book, but um, she was meeting with him shortly before he went to London for this, uh, to England for this uh, Lawrence conference. And she said, um, where are you going, John? And he pointed down to the ground and he said, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she realized later he was pointing to, you know, the ground like a grave. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but he, you know, like like Lawrence, as he says in his Lawrence book, uh, he was kind of ready uh, for a new chapter in his in his life or afterlife. Uh, I think he he was tired. He was beaten down by everything he had gone through at Harvard, um, and I think he was excited in some way about you know what lay ahead. Um, hmm. So, um, yeah, there were, there were uh, you know, he had some um, inclination or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, visions that, uh, mm-hmm. that was in there. And he was working on a book about a young woman who, who died and who sent, apparently sent signals to her family from, from beyond. So, so he, did, he, he did have a hard time with his uh, with Harvard. Co- co-workers at Harvard. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, because of the, his research, that's an understatement. Yeah, yeah it is. Well, you know, and you know, coincidentally, uh, 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 I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Avi Avi Loeb. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it had, you know came out. Uh, Harvard, another Harvard professor coming out saying yeah. that, uh, yeah, uh, disagreeing with cool. the uh, you know with the consensus that that rocky object was uh, may have been of alien design, so. Intelligently designed, absolutely right. And um, 
it is interesting that a second, uh, you know, a scientist has now come out of Harvard uh, with a very provocative thesis. And, um, and he also, in his book, Avi Loeb, uh, you know, um, complains about the scientific establishment being close-minded, uh-huh. which, which others, including Einstein, mentioned that, um, you know, uh, science is supposed to be open to um, unusual uh, phenomena and come to it with an open mind to try to figure out what's going on. But when it comes to UFOs and, and the alien um, experiences, uh, there is a, a mindset that, you know, this is not good for your career. You should yeah. stop that. And there's a, you know, a ridicule fact that everybody smirks about it. So, um, you know, John encountered that and Avi Loeb encountered that. Do you know Avi? I don't. I sent, actually, I'm, I was hoping to talk to him about <laughs> Mac overlap at, at uh, Harvard, um, but I haven't uh, been able to reach him yet. Hmm. I, is this the second book on Mac? <laughs> what, his book, Avi Loeb? Yeah. I mean, you say you've, you've heard stuff since the book came out or oh. since the book was published. <clears throat> No, no. I mean, uh, 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 after my book came out, people who knew John Mack came, you know, sought me out and said, oh, oh okay. John, yeah. and, I, and they started telling me stories I wish I'd had in time for the book. Right. OK. So, um, no, just one book. <laughs> What's your next project? Just well, curious. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Trish, this, this book took me 16 years. God, I can't imagine. I, um, I have you to. Were- but you were working full time for the Times for part of this, right? Uh, for part of that time, I was working full time, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want it to sound like I was working day and night for sixteen years. I took some time off. It took me a while to gather the material. But one one thing that took some time was I got the uh, agreement of the Mac family. He had three has three sons. Hmm. His wife was alive then, and um, um, anyway, the family gave me access to his archives and his personal hmm. and including his uh, personal journals wow and john being a psychiatrist subjected himself to uh, psychoanalysis he you know, psychiatrists have to <clears throat> analysis themselves as part of their training so he taped some of these sessions which i got access to his own psych- wow. so i had a pretty good you know window into his mind and insight into his personality including some things that were not so flattering, his attraction to other women, which mm-hmm. I uh, uh, was not very happy about, needless to say. Um, but he was a very open kind of character. He didn't keep secrets. Um, he, you know, talked about everything he was doing and everything, you know, everything he was involved with. So, and he put it down on paper and recorded it. <laughs> That's what took a lot of time, going through this massive material. Huh. What, um, I had a question. I just went away. Okay. Oh, oh, here it is. You write about a paranormal researcher, uh, David Hufford, who, who initially in the book sounded like a skeptic or a debunker, but he came to believe that, quote, strange things didn't happen to people because they believed in strange things. They believed in strange things because strange things happened to them. That's a distinct difference. So what... Like, okay, take one facet of, of Mac's research. When he went overseas to that uh, country, was this that that school? Zimbabwe. Where, yes. yes, 
Yes. Tell us about that. Um, okay, so uh, this came at a time when he was already under investigation by Harvard, uh, which um, was not happy about his enthusiasm um, for, the, for the subject, and they were looking to see whether he was uh, properly uh, dis distancing himself from his uh, research subjects or patients. Um, in the end, he was exonerated, but I, I don't want to jump ahead too much. But anyway... Um, so while he was under this uh, rather uh, arduous, uh, dispiriting investigation, I call it an inquisition at one point, mm -hmm. um, he, he uh, gets a, a fax from uh, uh, Zimbabwe in Southern Africa that the BBC correspondent there has gotten reports of uh, UFO activity. This was in like 1994. And... Um, and not only UFO activity, but a, an apparent UFO landing at a children's school uh, outside the capital of Iraq. So he's interested because by now he's you know really deep into the alien abduction uh, phenomenon, trying to figure out what's going on. He's got his own patients, the you know research subjects that he's talking to. Anyway, so he he immediately uh, flies off to uh, Zimbabwe with his uh, assistant, who was his uh, partner, romantic partner at the time. Um, and they, they go to the school and they hear the most extraordinary story about, about 60 children were playing in the yard during recess and the adults were all, uh, the, the teachers were all preoccupied. Whether that is significant or not is, is an interesting question, but anyway, they were not there when the kids were in the yard. And they see um, a UFO land. They see two little short figures come out, and they're very they're very interactive with the kids. They're staring at the kids with their big, you know, uh, black eyes like rugby balls. One kid described these eyes, and they have telepathic con uh, telepathic communications with the kids. Mm -hmm. And it's you know see all this, and later on they go running to the um, teachers and tell the story what they saw. And the headmaster has them draw pictures of what they saw, and the pictures, some of them are in the book, extraordinary. So Mac is interviewing these kids um, on, on camera and on tape, and um, again, he feels that these kids are not making it up because they're too young to be, you know, uh, hoaxing uh -huh. uh, him and... Um, they, they're not sophisticated kids who, you know, read books about UFOs. And right. just, okay. So they became, he realized, really very good witnesses, kind of pure uh, witnesses with all the uh, simple observations of childhood. And they described mm -hmm. beings and what went through the kids' minds. They felt sorry for them. So there was some kind of empathy factor. And the kids said that they felt that they were being told to take better care of the earth. And all these uh. messages that Mac had gotten from other uh, experiencers. So uh, it became a very formative part of his, um, his research. I spent quite a bit of time in the book uh, talking about that. There's a film about it uh, in the works. And uh, some of the researchers have actually gone back to these kids who, so 94, 25 years later, Went wow. up, and they still remember their experience hmm. changed their lives. But 
this really is one of the best documented uh, UFO encounters of all time. Um, because there, were, there were drawings, too, that kids made, right? And the drawings are mm-hmm. kind of consistent, the, the, again, because the kids, um, um, you know, could not really be accused of, um, of parroting, um, you know, books they'd read or, right. you know, um, uh, science fiction movies or whatever. Um, so it became a, a kind of a paradigm case, and it's still a mystery. I want to stress that, Trish, that in all my research, um, I never solved this. Uh, mystery and John Mack didn't either, and I don't think anyone's going to solve it in the foreseeable future because it's just such a colossal mystery. Um, but the first thing that I think everyone has to acknowledge is that it is a mystery, and the, the so-called you know skeptics and debunkers who, who know it all and say, ah, oh, you know these people are crazy or this is just a delusion or it's sleep apnea, and you know they have all the answers. Well, P.S. They don't. Because the more you go into it, as you know, you know, you, the more you study this field, the more you see that there are uh, really uh, huge um, puzzles here that are not easily explained. And there, if there was a quick explanation, we would have had it by now. Um, but there's mostly questions. But at least we have to acknowledge that these are legitimate questions and it's worth um, research. And it's a mystery. We've uh, you've been talking about you know uh, your research and 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 uh, on of John Mack and a lot of his uh, experiences and research, but uh, how did how did this change your perception of a the possibility Life. of aliens <laughs> or just you know just uh, things that uh, the paranormal in general, I guess, did, 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 did this have an impact on you personally as far as well, what you believe? Yes. I mean, uh, you, you can't go into this field without, you know, getting changed in some way. And, um, I must say, um, I, I did try to follow John Max, you know, tracks in, in the sense that he came to it, um, knowing, you know, nothing about it. And he, he was exposed to it and he, uh, track down um, as much evidence as he could, and I, I basically was looking over his shoulder as he as he did this through his his writings and research, and um, uh, I could see why he was so intrigued. Uh, in that sense, um, I, um, I I I watched in in a sense um, uh, over his shoulders uh, as he. Uh, examined every possibility for what mm-hmm. people were telling him, um, and he started rejecting different, um, you know, hypotheses. For example, the, the, the obvious hypothesis is that these people were mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he said, "Look, I'm a psychiatrist. This is my job uh, to assess mental illness." And he explained all the reasons why. He didn't think these people were mentally ill. They came from a broad cross-section of humanity. They um, didn't, uh, you know, follow any particular pattern in terms of who they were or what their backgrounds were. They were not all sexual abuse victims. Right. You know, so anyway, he he ruled out based on his expertise, which, again, because of his superb credentials, he'd written not only the Lawrence of Arabia book, which won a Pulitzer Prize, but he had written books on nightmares. He had written books on childhood development. He had written a book on suicide. Hmm. So 
wasn't he was an expert. He was the kind of guy in a courtroom, right, would be certified as an expert, and the jury would be instructed to believe, you know, this person because of his credentials. So he came to the, I, you know, the the subject of um, of mental capacity with with great credentials. So okay, he said they're not crazy. They were not hoaxing him because they had no. Um, in, in, in one case, he was hoaxed, which we could we could get to. But uh, the, by and large, the, the whole cross section of people who came up with these stories were not fabricating these stories. In fact, huh. they were ashamed of what had happened to them or what you know what they remembered had happened, and they were very reluctantly, uh, you know, coaxed to to talk about their experiences. Um, it was not only it was not something that hypnosis brought out only because some of these memories were conscious memories. Mm -hmm. They were sometimes augmented or often augmented by hypnosis. But again, these were not things that the hypnotists planted in their minds. There were some scars that they had on their body afterwards that they couldn't explain. Not overwhelming evidence, but something. Uh-huh. But but would you would you have so everything with everything you just said? I mean, going into it, would you would you have considered yourself a skeptic, and this opened your eyes to possibilities? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I as I said, I didn't know much about it when I went into it. I hadn't even thought about it before. But then I read. Um, I, I I did do what I I say the skeptics don't do is I studied the field. Um, mm-hmm. This is full of books. Um, on you know UFO experiences by all kinds of people, experiencers, by scientists, um, and and um, I mean, start off my book with a story of a conference at MIT in 1992 that John Mack attended, and it was a conference that brought together all kinds of experts, uh, physicists, um, theologians, folklorists. Uh, doctors, psychiatrists, uh, you know, lots of different disciplines uh, who were all grappling with this central set of of experiences that people had had come forward with. And they looked from every possible point of view. And I did that in my research. I looked at the, I read that, that um, the results of the MIT conference was put into a very thick volume called Alien Discussions which is what everybody should read if they're interested. Huh. Um, it, it's a transcript, basically, of you know a week-long conference of all these experts trying to figure it out, including John Mack. So to answer your question, um, yeah, you know, I, um, I put myself through the same process, and I started off as a skeptic, or at least like everybody else said, this is, this is impossible. And, you know, I start off the book, by the way, with an epigram, by a, a, a British scientist from the 18, 1870s who was sent to debunk uh, a seance. Oh, I remember that, yeah. And uh, he sees instead that things that he can't explain that seem to be real. And he, and he said very famously afterwards, I, I never said it was possible. I only said it was true. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that quote because... That's a great uh, one. I can... I can you know, um, so I, I can empathize with that. I feel it like we know that you can't see people getting abducted in broad daylight, you know, in the middle of the street, Times Square. So it's not happening in that reality. So you say, well, it's not possible that all these people could be getting abducted and nobody sees. And yet when you read the accounts 
uh, of people and you see the fragmentary bits of evidence and you follow John Mack's thinking through and why he rejected certain things, um, you have to say that whatever the mystery is, it is intact and it doesn't lend itself to easy solution. Well, that's for sure. I mean, years ago at that same conference, we met Betty Hill. Yeah. And she was, I mean, I came away from that saying, okay, something definitely happened to this woman, you know, but who am I to say that it's real or not real? I mean, she believed it, and I think something did happen to her. Well, you're absolutely, Trish, and you, you know, you put your finger on one of the great mysterious cases. It's a touchstone case, the Betty and Bonnie Hill abduction in New Hampshire in 1963, was it? I didn't know this. <laughs> Came out in '65, but they kept it secret for a while. Yeah, I think uh, it was, maybe it was '61, September 19th, 1961. Um, but this is a you know the classic case. It became a, a you know TV movie and um, uh, two books, a, book. uh, a famous book, and then another book by Betty's niece, uh, uh -huh. Kathleen. Kathleen Friedman wrote uh, co-wrote that. Um, but I mean, an unbelievable story about this couple who, uh, encounter a UFO. This is their story. They encounter a UFO on a ride home from New Hampshire and, uh, it comes out in in, um, hip hypnotic regressions with a very famous psychiatrist, not John Mack, um, that, uh, they uh, were taken aboard a craft and subjected to, you know, all kinds of experiments and, uh, um, they were terrorized. Um, and, and they also they were a biracial couple and did not want publicity. So you couldn't say that they were doing this just to get. Absolutely right. That's a very good point that Barney was, a uh, uh, he was black. He was a mail carrier postman and Betty was a social worker and she was white and they were working on, on civil rights issues. And the last thing they wanted was to draw attention to themselves in 1960s. An interracial couple was still, uh, quite a rarity, and um, so uh, they were not doing it for the publicity. As a matter of fact, they they f they try to forget about it originally, mm -hmm. and, um, and and they couldn't. But um, that's a very good case to study. And all the materials, by the way, for that case are uh, on um, uh, on hand at the University of New Hampshire, Durham. Mm -hmm. And we donated all their records and the dress that. Betty was wearing that supposedly got ripped by an alien doctor and uh, um, wow. photos and, 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 and all the tapes of their hypnotic sessions. Hmm. That's all there. So, you know, you, you want to, you know, debunk this whole thing, go there and listen to the tapes, read the information and then talk about it. Right. Well, and, and what, what do you, uh, what do you make out of the, um, Speaking of the Navy, out of the, I believe it was Navy pilots uh, in San Diego, the uh, Tic Tac video and stuff. I mean, when you're starting to get, when you're starting to get uh, information, accounts, and actual video evidence of stuff like this from uh, from from the military, you know, through the government uh, releasing it. Uh, I mean, is are are we are we headed towards a uh, is, is 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 there a nugget? Is is, is are, are they are they preparing us for the truth, or what do you think? Well, uh, let let's take it one step at a time. Uh, I, I I know that's a huge that, that's a lot of question, but but yeah. Uh, well, uh, look the the fact that the government 
has put out, and they gave we 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 at the New York Times got access to these Navy videos originally and put them out on our website, and they became the most watched videos I think the New York Times has ever put up. And to this day, they're everywhere. You know, uh, everyone's familiar with that picture of the uh, uh, the black and white, stark black right. and this thing bopping along the waves. Anyway. So the fact that there are official Navy videos of objects, um, I think, establishes for the first time really conclusively that these things are not figments of imagination. They're not psychological constructs. They are real, physically real things. Now, what the, those things are, we don't know. We don't know uh, if they're intelligently piloted, who's behind the wheel, where do they come from. All those are other questions, but I think the first question, threshold question is, um, are these things real? The answer is yes, they're real. Mm -hmm. Are they from another world? Well, all the experts we've talked to say that no earthly power um, has this technology to uh, move so quickly um, and to disappear and reappear. Um, so um, it does not seem to be, you know, something that the Chinese or the Russians are playing. Right. Uh, they, they seem to be as puzzled as we are, the other countries. So that's the first step. So there is this thing, these objects that are truly unidentified, but that exist. And I think that's a big step forward because for many years, people debated whether they are just imaginary. Right. Sure. Um, well, they're not imaginary. So now the government is, um, the second big step the government has taken is to acknowledge that they're interested in the subject, that they um, are continuing to investigate it. They're urging Navy pilots to come forward now with their uh -huh. own, which was never the case before. They used to tell pilots, shut up about it because you'll ruin your career. Mm -hmm. um, just like airline pilots were long told not to, to, to talk about it. We just had that case over New Mexico, the American Airlines plane. Right. Weeks ago, the pilot said, you guys shooting missiles off down there? <laughs> oh, well, we just had a missile fly over us, you know. <laughs> well, it was something that flew over. There wasn't a missile. Right. Uh, and again, that was a kind of a breakthrough because pilots, commercial pilots were told, don't talk about this. So now to answer your question, whether this is part of an official campaign of disclosure, trying to get you know, the world ready for the big reveal. You know, I don't think it's that um, conspiratorial. Okay. I don't think it's planned out that way. I think that um, people in the government have made a decision to be more forthcoming about stuff that they knew about all along. Right, sure. They had the but files. They knew that these things were out there um, and it was classified top secret. Um, and the CIA recently dumped a whole bunch of documents out, which again confirms that they were, um, you know, monitoring this phenomenon all along. They never stopped. Right. Um, but um, I don't think it's a plan to dribble the information out up to a certain point. I think they're as puzzled as, as everybody else. And now they're just being a little more forthcoming about it. Yeah, well, and, and just with so many, so many cameras in the world Everywhere. now and 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 uh but it, but at the end of the day that is uh, absolutely it was a, the question was a huge leap but 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 it is exciting when you're seeing uh video from a source you know this isn't just somebody that was 
walking around with their cell phone. A right. Navy pilot recorded this. So, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to see. Yeah. It is. And, you know, the we've interviewed some of these pilots, and uh, the one thing you come away with is these are the most highly trained observers that exist in the world. These are people who have been the subject of millions and millions of dollars of the most advanced technological training. They're screened for psychological problems. They don't, you know, take Navy pilots who are insane. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so these people are certified sane. They are highly trained observers. They're very technologically adept. And when they start talking about not only seeing uh, Tic Tacs uh, flying, you know, past their 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 um, uh, F-16s, but things coming out of the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and and possibly things even below the surface oh, of right. the water. Yeah, yeah. Operating under underwater, which really blows your mind because you could say, okay, we know that they're okay. They're probably up in the skies. You know, spaceships come from you know the skies from the cosmos, but there's vehicles that operate underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, equally as, as well as, as in the air, uh, that really blows your mind. And this mm-hmm. is what pilots have, have told us uh, they witnessed, they saw. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it really is uh, phenomenal stuff. Well, and, and also, I think, go ahead, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, John. Oh, no, well, I was just going to, yeah, just, just, just a button on that is, yeah, because uh, the ocean, you know, why don't we, why doesn't everybody see this stuff? Well, if they're under the, if they're underwater as well, that's a whole nother <laughs> large space <laughs> for these vehicles to be. It is. You know, yeah. and, you know, again, um, there is the the mysterious part of this is that they're not always visible to everyone all the time. That's true. Uh, it, it it's very fragmentary, and it is not clear whether these objects have the ability to cloak themselves, uh, to become invisible at times. This is one of the things. Our government is trying to figure out if you could do that. We'd like to be able to do that with our right. aircraft. You know, right. so they're trying to reverse engineer whatever uh, you know properties these things have. But um, they're not always visible. Uh, not everybody sees them. There are many cases that I report in, in my book, The Believer, that uh, with two two people standing next to each other, one sees the UFO, the other doesn't. Right. That's yeah, true. I sometimes think that. The acronym agencies maybe all have different pieces of the puzzle, and I say this because when Rob and I wrote um, Aliens in the Backyard, which which focused on a, a Quebec case, we did it in nine blog posts, and for all those nine days, we had so many hits from the FBI, the DEA, the Naval Intelligence. I thought, my God, what what is this? We even had the Royal Mounted Police. Royal Canadian Mounted Police, come on and spend eight hours on the blog. It's like somebody was assigned, you know. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. I think you're right, Trish, that, um, first of all, they don't communicate that well. The Mm -hmm. secret is such that they're secret from each other. Um, And um, there's a terrific level. Plus, we're not even talking about the private uh, defense contractors who are in some cases, even more secret than the government because they're not subject to freedom of information requests. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may be in possession of information that the government is trying to get uh, access to. So there are these layers of, uh, of different agencies uh, which you know may not be sharing all their information with each other, probably or not. Yeah, that was my impression. I mean, 
you know, in some ways it was, I thought, okay, somebody needs to get this, this Canadian guy who had this experience and just sit down and say, okay, here are the things we know. What do you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's like some big puzzle. It is a big puzzle. And, um, you know, in the end, uh, John Mack didn't solve it. Um, although at his memorial service, uh, the, um, uh, the minister uh, at Harvard said, John Mack now knows everything, <laughs> uh, which is a nice thought. Um, and actually, I, I end my book with the um, uh, very strange stories about um, um, John Mack coming back after mm -hmm. that. And as I say in the book, I'm not vouching for this part of the book. I'll vouch for the rest of it. Uh, about you know all the research he did and the experiences that abductees uh, you know claimed they had and all that that's on the record. But then when people start talking about seeing uh, Mac after he died and coming back, that's an element of the story. But you know I don't know if you know who knows. But anyway, the message he supposedly brought back to a colleague was uh, it's not what we think. It's not what we thought. Hmm. So she thinks, what's not what we thought? <laughs> well, Be clearer. <laughs> uh, is it death that he's saying it's not what we thought? Or is it the UFO phenomenon? Uh, interesting. You know, he didn't stick around for questions. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, now, if he comes to you, Ralph, you've yeah. got questions for him. <laughs> Actually, you know, Trish, you got to tell you this. Somebody asked me this the other day. And I said, they asked me if I had gotten any, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, signals from Mac. And the one thing I'll say is that as I wrote this book, I, I was aware that information was popping into my mind at night of things that I had to do and people I had to talk to. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this sort of referred to in the literature as sort of downloads from the cosmos. Right. I mean, I, I've read stories that famous Nobel prize-winning scientists would get a sudden flashes of insight that they couldn't mm -hmm. explain where they where it came from. I mean, maybe they were pondering a problem and it suddenly sort of came together in their mind. That's like Einstein. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But other times, uh, scientists have said that things just popped into their mind. They couldn't explain where it came from. But, you know, was it some cosmic intelligence sort of communicating with them? I think, you know, there, there are people who... Uh, who give credence to that. And mm -hmm. in this case, I must say, um, maybe my mind was wrestling with a problem, you know, and, and for, so, for so long and so intensely that solutions kind of suggested themselves. Maybe that's the way the mind works, you know, when at mm -hmm. night when you're shut down and, and, and it still continues to ponder things. Right. Uh, but I must say, I, I got, you know, flashes of insight when I least expected it. Um, and um, so, you know, who knows where that comes? I think there's, you know, there, there's some kind of consciousness out there that we don't, we, a lot of things we don't understand, clearly. Sure are. Physics yeah. don't Absolutely. Don't one object can, you know, affect another object. We don't know what, you know, 95% of the universe is composed of with dark matter yeah. and dark energy. We don't know, you know, as I say in the book, never mind aliens. Where does this thing <laughs> come from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh, yeah, it's such a thought-provoking book. It really is. I mean, I, after I finished reading, I, I, I was laying in bed one night and I was thinking, oh, my God, 
where do where do you go with this? <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I mean, there are a lot of questions about what uh, what's going on in the universe, uh, where we're headed. Uh, you know, now there's a great focus on are we alone in the universe? Right. The science is obviously proceeding at, at its scientific pace. And you know, I I, I want to make this point. Uh, one of the subtitles of my book, The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack, mm -hmm. is the science part. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I do take pains in the book to try to examine some of these um, you know, issues, of claims, of phenomena scientifically, because um, it's, it's not enough to take it on faith. Right. It's got to be tested uh, by the methods of science. And unfortunately, science hasn't found the tools that answer these questions. Um, for example, you can't photo, you, no one has been able to photograph aliens. Um, people who have had these visitations have set up cameras mm -hmm. uh, in their, you know, in their homes to try to capture um, um, images of these aliens and they don't come out on, on right. film. Mm. Now. Um, there's a lot of stories of, you know, film that, that, you know, is exposed, doesn't come out. Um, so that, that's really part of the mystery. It does not lend itself to our evidence gathering tools at this mm -hmm. point, uh, except in fragmentary ways. Yeah. Know? So um, part of the mystery. Yeah. Well, Have but, you but, did you? Oh, oh go, go ahead. John. Well, I was just going <laughs> to say, but but you know, I mean, we're we're kind of we're kind of with we've got multiple countries with devices on Mars right now. We're kind of proving out some of this stuff ourselves. I mean, we're 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 crawling, but we're we're interplanetary. <laughs> You know how how much longer before we're, uh, you know, enter enter uh, 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 system and in, intergalactic. But I mean, it, it's going to be it's a long. Well, I think it I think it ramps up by orders of magnitude as it goes along. But just the fact that we're getting near real time, and I'm using that term loosely, but near real time images back from Mars, Mars. right now. Right. We're kind of proving it out ourselves, you know. I mean, and if they find evidence that life existed um, on Mars or the moon or anywhere else we could, you know, uh, get uh, samples from. Sure. Uh, if we can prove that life at some point existed, then, of course, the question arises, well, did these other um, planets um, harbor as, uh, uh, intelligent life at some mm -hmm. point in, in the 13 billion years history mm -hmm. of the universe? And um, did these um, forms of life vanish? Yeah. Uh, and, and how? But, and how, exactly. And, well, uh, it, but, but I mean, just the fact that we can start to actually collect information and start putting those pieces together because we've made it off, you know, planet. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, John, I want to say that at the end of the book, I, I say that the, the heroes of this story, one is John Mack, I, I do call him That's a hero, sure. despite his flaws, but the heroes are human beings, are our, our human species that uh, has taken on these big questions and been subject, if you believe the, the stories of you know alien abduction, has been traumatized by 
these other beings, whatever they are. Uh, and yet at the end, uh, they, they are coming here to study our species, if they are, to, to, re, to reproduce, uh, to, to make hybrid beings using our DNA, if, if mm -hmm. they... Uh, but at least we, the human species, is engaged in this uh, mystery and, and trying to figure it out. People like John Mack. So, you know, give the human species a pat on the back, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's a good or, point. Absolutely. Or, do you, did you speak ever to uh, Whitley Strieber? I did. I actually did his show uh, two nights good. ago. Um, he's amazing. Actually, that's you great. know, that's a, a very good point that um, Whitley has had experiences that don't fit into the classic a core abduction narrative. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, he's had such strange experiences, quite apart from, you know, the usual ones of people being beamed up to a space uh -huh. and reproductive experiments. And, um, and the tendency of some uh, researchers in this field is to throw out the stuff that doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is too weird. I'm not even going to go there. And yet there are people, um, smart people, in this field who say, no, um, that's the most interesting part. You've got to study the stuff that doesn't fit. Right. Why doesn't it fit? And by the way, why not study the people who don't get abducted? Mm -hmm. What is it about them? That makes, well, that, you know, that was my uh, question about how come Ann Streeper was never abducted? Well, that's a good question. And she is communicating from beyond. Right. If you listen to Whitley, yeah. he, we're working with her. He, 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 Credits her, co-credits her with with his books. Now he says, Anne and I are working on this together. She's very much a part of his life, even though she has passed on. Uh, he feels he's in touch with her. Yeah, well, uh, the Afterlife Revolution that was yeah. his first book with her. And she said always that she thought death and alien abduction were were linked. That there was mm -hmm. some uh, common denominator, and you know some of the people who. Uh, who re reported abduction experiences say they saw dead people. Mm -hmm. Usually the, the dead people were family. Right. However, so, not always. Not always. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we, have, we interviewed a woman who had had constant abductions throughout her life, and at one point she and her husband had gone to a rock concert. I can't remember who it was that they saw, but she was abducted later that evening, and the the rock star was there, and she said, "What? what's he doing here? And they said, oh, well, we thought his presence would make you more comfortable. And then oh. they went back to whatever <laughs> whatever entity they were. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the as I said, these stories are very strange. Yeah. And there's, there's a – John Mack found that there was a basic consistency to the stories which uh, added to their credibility in his view – Mm -hmm. The other hand, they were different enough so that they were not some general story that everybody was telling. Right. You could pluck out of, you know, books and movies. So they were different enough to be, you know, authentic and yet similar enough to be uh, intriguing to wonder, well, why are so many people from different parts of the world, different ages, etc., reporting these similar experiences? How does that happen? Yeah, nobody's right. answered that question. <laughs> Well, and and that well, might be a good question to end it on because we're wait. We're, I have one. Okay, more go question. ahead. Go ahead, okay. Trish. Yep. Okay, Ralph. What's the most powerful synchronicity you had while you were researching and writing this book? Um, well, I'll tell you. Um, I found out 
and I, I say this at the end of the book, that I found out that um, John Mack's family and I had crossed paths huh. in strange ways. I was a student at City College of New York when John Mack's father was a professor there. Wow. Um, and I never met him, but I knew his name. Huh. I was a student there. Then um, when I was um, working at Baruch College, where I work now in the archives, um, suddenly I come across a file from John Mack's stepmother. Jeez. Well, she, she was an economist, and she did a lot of research, and her papers ended up in this collection I was, I was archiving. Oh, God. And then I'm looking for John Mack's cousin, who will tell me some biographical details. I search for him all over. He's living across the street from me. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is so weird. Um, that, uh, <laughs> uh, who arranges this stuff anyway? That's what I've always wondered. Oh, it's like uh, the old story. You're, you're reading a chapter in a book, you know, about something in, in, you know, a red car, and you look out the window, and there's a right. red car passing by. Or, yeah. Um, so, you know, Carl Jung thought there were all these wormholes in the cosmos that connect <laughs> us to things seemingly at random, but they're not random at all. No. Uh, we don't know. But, um, you know, the, the more I think about the, the, the story and the research I did, the more I realized we don't know anything. You know, <laughs> this is so true. We don't understand. And. Um, you know, where, where all this matter in the universe comes from. And, you know, the scientists are very smart. They're figuring out certain things. They, they got telescopes that can look back to the beginning of time. I, I end the book with a story of this image of a black hole from a, um, you know, a black hole 58 million light years away. There's not enough zeros you could think of that <laughs> that number. You figure out 58 million light years away, and we have a picture, <laughs> a, a computer image of that thing that they they got, and it, it it mesmerized the world about two years ago when it popped up. Remember that picture, that donut? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Donut. Yeah. I do. Yeah. So yeah, they can do that. So you find something, and then you have another question. That's how it seems to me. Oh yeah. Well, I, what I say is, you, you can get this image from 58 million light years away and you can't figure out if people are really getting abducted by aliens. Well, I mean, we've, we've only been at this for about 300,000 years. Right. And, sure. and, 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 and I love to talk about the fact that, I mean, it is kind of crazy, you know, 150 years ago we were sitting around in the dark, you know, and now we're walking around with, you know, devices in our pockets that are uh, way more powerful than what we used to get to the moon the first time. So it, it's it's a magical time to be alive, for sure. It is. And you know what's even more astounding? That between the Wright brothers and the landing on the moon, it took only 66 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you think of that, that in you know, 1903, <laughs> it was the first powered flight, and 66 mm -hmm. years later, they're landing a rocket on the moon. Yeah. Uh, and a man is climbing out. And, um, so if you can do that in 66 years, what can you do in a couple billion years? Exactly. And, and, that's, and that's the orders of magnitude. You know, I mean, it's just technology does not, it's not, it doesn't, it, it scales at high levels because you're just building on top. I mean, it, it yeah, it's orders of magnitude because you're, you're, every breakthrough leads 
to multiple breakthroughs. So. Yeah, and who knows what's ahead? I mean, you know, this generation that grew up with computers didn't didn't know life before computers, so they right. kind of spoiled. But what what's ahead? <laughs> I mean, if you know what what's the next step? Where yeah. can we go from here? Well, they they don't know life without computers, but they also have access to way more information than we did growing than up. we did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the computers of the future, these quantum computers that are going to be able to process, you know, trillions of functions, you know, a second, um, think of what they can do. The scary, this is a little off the mark, but the scariest thing I heard recently was that these robots are writing news stories. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Report. You just feed in a certain fact, you know, fire at Third and Elm, <laughs> right? Just you know, keep people and, and and some bot will write that story, yep. and it'll be perfect. We just got to keep the AI the AI under control. So, <laughs> oh, Ralph, this has just been great talking to you. Now, tell people how they can find you and find your book, your website. Oh, great. Sure. My website is ralphblumenthal.com. Very simple. www.ralphblumenthal.com. The book is uh, officially published March 15th. uh, University of New Mexico Press, High Road Books. But it's uh, already available. It's shipping, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, bookstores. Great. Um, So it's easily available. And um, And I want it to be a movie. Well, we're working on that. Good for you. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But uh, John was an interesting character, and I, I hope there'll be interest in you know various media uh, in his story because he he needs to be remembered as really the best of the human species. A uh, real oh, pleasure hey. talking to you. Now, when, when can we do this again? I have a lot of more questions for you. <laughs> we'll figure it out. I'm around. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you all. Thank take you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Mystical.